Blog Talk Radio. Today's show, 
and we have a hot one for you today. If you cannot tell from our intro song, talking about the original man, and that also means womb man as well, we have a show that's going to go right to the heart of that. What Brother Larry Locke was talking about is Mother Africa, the motherland, as tomorrow is Mother's Day. What better time to have a show about the motherland? And we're going to talk to, yes, she is a mother. She's one of our local queens here in the city of Las Vegas who took a trip to the motherland, went back to Mother Africa. When I say she went back, though she may not have physically been there before, that's where our people have come from. No matter what will happen in history, that will always be the case. But how many of us, whether we talk about it, whether we've read about it, even maybe accuse others of not being about it, how many of us have actually stepped foot on the continent? See, I don't have to say which one of the seven continents, but all I need to say is the continent, and everyone knows what we're talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have Sister China Hudson on Our Own Voices Live today to share her experience of going back home, going to the motherland. So many questions for her, and I hope that you have some too as you listen in. 347-826-9600, press option one to talk. That lets me know that you're not just listening, but you want to chime in. Uh, she doesn't have a whole lot of time with us today. I'm so thankful that she's made time for us. Uh, she's a busy woman uh, doing things in the community. Before we get to uh, Sister China, let me tell you a little bit about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community and laws, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. One of the ways that we do that is with shows like Our Own Voices Live. And, of course, Our Own Voices Live came from Our Own Voices, the print and digital magazine that talks about culture, history. We all have a voice, but it may have a slightly different sound to it because we come from someplace different, yet we all call ourselves Americans. How much do we know about our own history and heritage as well as culture? How much do others know about it, and how much do we know about this? Well, that's what Our Own Voices Live is about, to help maybe educate and inspire. You know, when it's all said and done, we may divide it into different groups, but ultimately we belong to the human race. Well, let's find out a little bit more about the different groups that make up that human race. You may call them African. We may call them African-American. We may call them Irish. We may call them a whole bunch of things. That's what we've done. But let's talk about it. Let's learn about it. Maybe you might find that we have more in common than you would have thought before. But first, you have to open up your ears, open up your eyes, But most importantly, you have to open up your mind. Maybe this country needs a revolution, a revolution of violence, but a revolution of the mind. 
Well, today we're going to talk to someone who had the experience of the motherland, and she's going to share some of that experience with us. I am excited and looking forward to it. You probably hear me asking a few questions and chiming in every once in a while, but most importantly, I want you all to hear what this sister has to say. She's one of our locals here in the great city of Las Vegas, and yes, I do believe it is great because a city like a village is only as good as the people that make it up. And this is one sister that helps make Vegas, Las Vegas, a great place because she pours herself into her community and into her people. But in spite of all that she does, she went back to the origin where it all started to hone her skills, to learn some things, maybe to verify what she thought she knew. Well, we'll find out today if what she thought she knew, she really knew and the new things that she learned. And this is that each one teach one. Well, we may all not be able to go to the motherland, but we had one of our own who did, and she's willing to share her story with us today. Normally we give a little introduction of what went on at the gathering, what went on during the week. There's plenty of time for that. We'll get into it a little bit later, but because of her short time, we want to get right into it. So, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, let's welcome to Our Own Voices Live and to you, the one and only, Ms. China Hudson. Welcome to the show, to the show, sister. Greetings. Thank you so much, brother, for having me here today. I am so blessed and what a wonderful, wonderful intro that you gave me. I was like, whoa, who is brother talking about? Oh, he's talking about me. <laughs> and I just I just want to give thanks not only for you, but um, our own voices and everything that you're doing here in the community. I give thanks and I honor you, King, for everything that you are doing because I see you as well. Well, thank you, sister, and I appreciate that because there's no powerful word no powerful endorsement that anyone can ever give me other than coming from my sister. And you are my sister in multiple ways. But enough about me. Let's get into you and sister and what you've been doing. Uh, first, give the folks a little background about you and what you do here in Las Vegas. Then let's get into this trip, what led you there and all of that stuff. Okay. Well, I've been in Vegas for probably about 17 years. And I am tremendously blessed to be um, over here at the West Las Vegas Cultural Arts Center. I am one of the African dance instructors here. And I also um, co-founded the Girls' Rights Passage uh, Mentoring Program, which is based on African traditions, and um, facilitate the Kwanzaa Program. So all things cultural related to Africa, um, I'm participating in here at the Arts Center. So um, I had never been to the continent until one of the sisters here in the community, um, she couldn't understand why I had never been to the continent, so she planted the seed in the community to say if anybody deserves to go visit the continent, it needs to be this sister right here, and we as a village need to make that happen. And so um, before I knew it, I was getting confirmations, plane tickets, and different things where the community had just rallied, rallied together to send me on a trip of a lifetime, one of my trips of a lifetime, because this won't be the only trip of a lifetime, um, for me to just go over to the continent and do what it is that I do, because they said, if you're doing all of this, bringing all of Africa to us and you've never been, 
imagine what you can um, bring to the community once you come back from the journey of Africa. So that is who I am and how I got over there. So you've been teaching African dance. You've been an integral part of the community. What was your perception of Africa before you went there? And then what has it been since you've come back? Well, I had this tremendous love affair with the continent of Africa, Um, just this anticipation because I knew one day that I was going, and it's like a running joke in my family, or one day you're going to disappear to Africa, and I'm like, yes, I just don't know when. So there was this tremendous um, love affair that I had with the continent of Africa. It's almost like an adopted child looking for their long-lost mother. And once I got there, um, I was in shock the first day. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm in Africa. I can't believe it. And I went to Ghana. Um, that was the country that I went to. Um, I went to Ghana. And once I got there, um, I had a little bit of a culture shock, city of Accra, which is one of their bigger cities. And it was a city just like any other city that you would see pretty much in the United States. Um, they have hotels. They have a mall, just like a mall you would have here. Um, like the Galleria here in Las Vegas. They have Victoria's Secrets. They have Bath and Body. They have the movie theater. Hey. So it was it was just as, you know, westernized as it could be. So I was a little disappointed because in my mind, I'm looking for the more indigenous culture in which I teach and, you know, the ceremonies in which I've read about. So initially I was there and I was like, oh, I don't want to see this. This is not what I want to see. But by my hotel was more a little bit of a more village like, so I got to um, experience that a little bit. I am glad that I went for 33 days and not just two weeks because I think if I would have went just for 14 days, I would have been quite disappointed because I wouldn't have been able to see the more indigenous, the more tribal things, and really experience ceremonies and rituals. Um, I got to see the vast makeup of the country of Ghana. I got to see the the city, which were very westernized, and I also got to go into what you would call the bush and into the rainforests and into the different places. I was able to go see all of that. So I'm really blessed that I got to see a lot. I was able to do 85% of Ghana. There were only three places that I didn't make it to, and I was able to cross over into the country of Togo and visit two villages there in that. So you mentioned the westernization of of Africa, uh, or at least where mm-hmm. you were. When you say westernization, break that down for us a little bit more besides some of the stores. Uh, we tend okay. to think of Africans with a rich culture and that they're always in their culture and we're always outside of our culture. What was it actually like to be amongst all your your long-lost brothers and sisters, and to see what culture they actually have there in those large cities especially. Well, what what I noticed and what I witnessed is that they are, um, these, the generation now is moving away from the tribal indigenous culture, the ceremonies and the traditions, not all of them, but most of them. They're kind of shying away from it, and they're moving um, towards more Western, and that comes with technology. They're a little bit more exposed to a lot of things with the Internet because um, contrary to proper belief, there are phones in Africa. Um, 90% of the people over there in Africa have cell phones. Um, they're prepaid cell phones. They have computers. They have Internet. So now at this point, um, the continent is wide open for influence. 
and not only American influence, but European influence. Um, so a lot of our sisters are um, just like our sisters here. They're wearing the lace fronts and the weaves, and they're trying to be like Beyonce, and they're doing all these things. So it's just not here um, in America, but it's all over the globe that people are um, mimicking our Hollywood stars. So that was kind of a culture shock for me, uh, but it was good that I was there because once they uh, initially saw me, they thought I was from Jamaica or Haiti or the Bahamas or the U.K. They never once thought that I was from America because my hair is natural, and I came with my own African garb. And so it was a little um, different for them to see an um, a African woman who's born and raised in America come to the continent who is so culturally aware of where she comes from. So those were great conversations that I was able to have with them to let them know that everyone in America is not trying to be like our sister Beyonce. Beyonce is great, you know. Um, She's making all the things that she needs to happen in her life happen. But I also needed to let them know that everyone is not trying to be like her, that we have a lot of strong sisters who look like me with natural hair who are embracing the concept of Africa and the culture. So that was good for them to see that, and um, we kind of balanced each other out. Wow. It was almost like you went there to get some African culture, but to a certain extent you brought some African culture to Africa. Exactly, exactly, because a lot of times, um, you know, the media is a powerful tool. Um, Just think about all the things they do not show us about the continent of Africa. Um, As you know, your um, friends with me on Facebook, I was trying to share as many pictures as possible to bring Africa to all of my friends. And when I was showing the beautiful beaches of Ghana and the waterfalls and the mountains and the beautiful rainforest and all the things that I was able to see, people were like, oh, my God, that's beautiful. I didn't know Africa had that. I said, Africa has everything that this world needs. It's right here on this beautiful continent. So just like we were not exposed to all that Africa has to offer, our African brothers and sisters are not exposed to us. That was the major thing that I came away from, that there was, I knew there was a disconnect, but I didn't realize how large of a disconnect that we had. They know nothing about us, nothing um, that is true about us. They know nothing about our experience here in America, they knew that we went through slavery, but they didn't quite understand in detail what that looked like. They didn't understand in, um, in detail what Jim Crow looked like. They didn't really understand what our civil rights movement or our black power movement or even the killings that are happening now to our young sisters and brothers um, by the police force. They not they do not quite understand what that really looks like. And to hear it from me, they were like, oh, my God. And then we were had this commonality because just like in South Africa or in Kenya, all the different violence that is happening over there, we had a common ground of we are all in a struggle, but it's a different struggle. Wow, you know, as you were speaking, that I, you know, we learn, you know, we we read and we're exposed to folks like yourself who try to bring uh, some of the confidence culture to us, and. Uh, Listening to you say it, it almost sounds like they're at a deficit at Mm -hmm. African-American culture more so than we are with African culture, which led me to the question of do they see us as Africans, as Americans? Do they see us as African-Americans? Just how do they see their overseas cousins? Well, it depends on who you ask. Uh, A lot of times I was referred to as the black American. 
Um, and then a lot of times, um, more forward-thinking Africans, they realized that I was African. But that was, like, the biggest piece that I wanted to leave every person that I left with, that do not think of me as, and yes, I was born in America, but I'm an African who was born in America because my ancestor was from this very place. You guys sold us. Let's not forget that. Um, and I had to bring that to their remembrance. You know, um, a question that was asked to me is, why didn't you guys come back after slavery? And I said, well, why didn't you come get us out of those dungeons that are 10 miles down the road? Why didn't you rally and come save my ancestors from those dungeons? Why wasn't you on the shore of the beach fighting to keep us off of those slave ships? So that was a question that I threw back at them. And they were like, wow, we never really thought about it like that. I said, exactly. So um, the next time I go, I would take it as an opportunity to just teach them about us. I would take um, a PowerPoint. I would create a PowerPoint presentation to really give them a history of our experience over here in America so they can understand that even though we are born here in America, that we are Africans. We are foreign-born Africans. So that is um, so that is so that is really what they needed us to find out. Huh. Well, you yeah. also, while you were there, had had a chance to uh, deliver some. Yeah. Oh, so we that was my hear, favorite part. Well, we often hear we need to send this to Africa and that to Africa. One, is there truly a need? How do they receive that? I mean, because sometimes when you give things to people, it's not necessarily received in the manner in which it was given. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the need and the reception of it. Okay, so there's a level of poverty on the continent that we would never experience here in America um, that I saw. Um, yes, we have a tremendous homeless population here in Las Vegas and all across America, and I'm not taking that away. Um, that is something that we need to fix here in our, in our own country. But to be over there on the continent and people not have a toilet, um, for you have to ration out water. Um, so the level of poverty there is something that I can't even begin to explain. There is a tremendous need for us to assist our brothers and sisters on the continent. Um, I went, the wonderful people of Las Vegas, not only did they send me to Africa, but they sent me with things to give to our brothers and sisters and our nieces and nephews over there. And um, I won't even sugarcoat it. Africa is being raped. People go over there with ill intentions, um, taking things from the rubber plantations as well as the chocolate and all these natural resources. They are robbing and stealing from the um, from the people, and it is not being reciprocated on what they're taking and giving to the people. So the people have a large guard up. Um, you're bringing things, and the first thing that comes to their mind is, what do you want in exchange for this? So it was very refreshing for them for me to come into a village with 30 pairs of reading glasses that I got from the dollar store and give it away to our elders and our young people who may be having trouble with eyesight for them to be able to read and just give it away and walk away. Here, this is for you. I don't want anything in return. This is what I came to do, to go into a school or the village with school supplies and pencils and to just sit it down and say, this is for you and walk away. It restored hope. Not only for me, it made me feel really good to just be able to give, 
or to restore hope to them to let them know that everyone that comes there is not there to take. Some people literally come just to give and want nothing in return. Mm. So, wow, sister, that that really touched me because I've, I've always wondered how do they receive it and is it needed and does it do any good? Now, what when you think of poverty there, and now that you've come back home, does it give you a slightly different perspective or view of poverty here? What's your mm. take on that now? Personally, um, I'm going through a huge. I'm still trying to process my trip. I'm not fully mentally or spiritually back. I'm not grounded because I was exposed to so much that my spirit is vexed in certain areas. Um, I feel that, you know, I'm a single mother and I'm raising my son. By no means am I uh, living an extravagant lifestyle, but I have too much. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to purge because I, what I saw over there and how people were making it um, made me come home and says, why do I need four of these? I don't need four of these. I only need one, and once I'm done with the one, I will go replace it and get another one. So that just made me do a check for myself. Um, it also made me realize that um, I've always counted my blessings, but now I count them differently because it's just, it's just there are no words to explain it. I, I, I really just can't explain it, and I just want to give more. I was blessed to actually make the contact with people with good hearts, who will make sure that what I send or what we send will get to the people? Because the corruption level over there is huge. You know, um, United, the United States gives so much money um, to Africa and resources, but it's not getting to the people. Um, churches go over there on their quote-unquote mission. Um, and they are building schools and they're feeding villages and they're doing all those. But it, in exchange for that, people are converting to religions that they may not necessarily really believe in. But because they're hungry or they want their children to have a good education, they will convert. So uh, the best way to put it is poverty is big business, depending on who you ask. Well, now that you, you are back, and you've made those connections. Did you tell us a little bit, because I know your time is short, what is the cultural awareness that you thought you had compared to what your cultural knowledge is now after actually being in African villages and sitting and talking, especially with those elders there? Well, you know, um, I'm glad to say and proud to say what I thought I knew about Africa is true. I knew that they needed us, and I knew that we needed them. Um, I knew that um, when I went there, I had absolutely no expectations, um, zero expectations. I was prepared to sleep on dirt floors. I, I was prepared for just, I had no expectations. But when I went, it was just like going to Big Mama's house. You got the best of what they had. They would cook for you and they would love on you and um, you would have that camaraderie. Sometimes I didn't even understand one word a person was telling me, but I felt the energy and the love of it. So um, what I knew for sure is that we're all connected. Ubuntu, we're all connected. We're all the same. A mother here in Las Vegas 
worked every day to make sure that her child has the best. Just like a sister in Krobo or Samanye works hard every day for her child to have the very best. It is the exact same thing. So it was it was just like, wow, it's the same. We all the same. We want the best for our children. We want to laugh. We want we want to be safe. We want we want the same things. So that 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 was the good thing that really made my heart sing. Well, let, let's talk about that language for a moment. Language mm-hmm. is one of the foundations of culture, and it is one of the basis of things that unites us. But it's also one of those things that divide us. Mm-hmm. In America, mm-hmm. we tend to grow up learning primarily one language. I mm-hmm. uh, do see a large infl- influx of Hispanic speakers, and of course, we have many different uh, groups that make up America with many different languages. What do you think of the concept of African Americans learning an African language almost as a requirement? Well, you know, it, that's hard to say because just in Ghana, I experienced double language, anyway, fancy, ga, crobo. I ran across five or six languages just in Ghana itself. So um, if someone wanted to learn African language, they would have to be very specific on which language they would like to learn because Ewe is a language that is only spoken. It is not written. So, um, And depending on where a person here in America will be traveling, they will have to really determine on which language that they will be trying to learn or to speak. Lots of Africans on the continent, they speak English. Um, we would probably call it broken English, but they really have a good understanding of the English language, the men more so than the women, but they speak English there. So um, a lot and in Senegal, which I was trying to cross over into Senegal, I couldn't cross into Senegal because my tour guy didn't speak French. So it kind of just depends on where um, a foreign-born African, that's what I like to call us, an African here in America, be traveling that would determine on which language they would like to learn. Because for me, um, Ghana is considered my second home now. I definitely need to learn Ewe, and I definitely, and I definitely need to learn Krobo because that was the village I was initiating into. So therefore, those are two languages that I got to try to at least learn the basics of. Well, sister, I know you told me that you had to run at the top of the hour, and we are at the top of the hour now. Uh, okay. This is so fascinating to me. You know, I I hope that maybe you'll come back on the show because I want to of ask course, you of course, about of course, that uh, immersion into their culture. You know that you have a rites of passage here. I, you know, I want to hear about the rites of passage there, how it compares to what you was doing here and what you integrate from there here. So many more Absolutely. questions that I have for you. Absolutely. So I hope that you can make time for us to come. Yes. That would be a blessing, sister. So, again, thank you. What What would you like to leave our listeners with? Um, what I would like to leave the um, listeners with is learn for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Um, don't take a book's word for it. Go and learn for yourself. Because, again, this was my experience in just two countries. I was in Ghana, and I did Togo. So you may not necessarily want to do Ghana. You may want to do South Africa. So my suggestion is to learn for yourself. All right. Well, know it for yourself. 
I appreciate you sharing that with my listeners. I appreciate you sharing it with me. And sister, our brother from the continent, told me to make sure I pass on his regards to you, and he looks forward yeah. to your return. And uh, he yeah. says he wants you to bring me on your next trip. Yes, yes, you come on and come. So I will talk to you next Saturday. I look forward to it, and um, I love you very much, brother. I love you too, too, sister. Thank you for sharing. Talk to yourself. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Think about that. You just heard from someone who has actually gone back to the motherland, to Mother Africa, experienced it for herself. And that's what she said. That was her parting words is she encourages us to experience it for ourselves. Don't just read about it. Go there and see about it for yourself. And those are powerful words. I know she's going back soon. I'm looking at my schedule to see if I can make that trip too. I find her story and stories that she shared of interest, and it's almost as if it just whet my appetite for more. Uh, you know, going to Egypt, in the military we had deployments to Egypt back when uh, wow, that was in the early 80s for me. But when you're in the military, you're sort of in a controlled environment and you're on bases, and uh, then a lot of times you're out in the field doing what people in the military do. So it's not the same. To be able to take that trip and to be able to step foot on it, the continent, and just sort of inhale it, take it all in, ingest it, so that it can become a bigger part of who I am and hopefully who you are. That's the experience that I want to have with the motherland. Well, that was Sister China Hudson, works at the West Las Vegas uh, Art Center and Theater, uh, teaching African dance, sharing African culture, and has a rites of passage. Hopefully next week she'll be able to come on and talk about the rites of passage that she went through. Uh, with her adopted family there and what it was like, how similar it is to what she's doing, how she may or may not integrate some of the things from her experience into what she was already doing here. This is a case of really and truly enriching the village, enriching the hut of the village. Maybe when she comes back on, we can talk to her about that phrase that we often use about the village. Do Africans even use that phrase? And do we use it as it was intended to be used? Did we Americanize it away from what it actually is supposed to be? Now, I ask that question because I have a slight hypothesis, and that is that the village is important. The village is made up of people and is only as strong as the hut. And if you have a weak hut, you have weak villages. If you have strong huts, you have strong villages. So, so many more questions. I hope that you all go to the Our Own Voices Live Facebook page. And if you have questions that you would like for me to ask Sister China or you would like to ask directly, I want you to go there and do so. Well, at the top of the show, 
I mentioned that there could be no more appropriate time to have someone who's gone to the motherland to come on the show and talk about it because tomorrow is Mother's Day. Really, what a great experience to have Sister China talking about the motherland. But for those of us who are here and really my listeners who are around the world, and I thank you so much for taking time to join us on our own voices live. Tomorrow is Mother's Day. Now, we know that mothers are elevated slightly higher, or we'll say different than fathers, and that's okay. I don't know a father that complains about it because we really uh, we love our sisters, and, of course, our mothers are sisters as well, and we appreciate all that they do. This Mother's Day will be unique for me. As right before Mother's Day last year, my mother transitioned from this life to the next. And though we may think about what the next may be, most of us, if not all of us, have never been on that side. And I was looking into my backyard and since her transition, I've had flowers because flowers are fragrant and they represent life to me because they grow. And mothers are who help nurture us and help us grow. So I even took time to go and sit amongst the flowers, sit in a swing that I bought that I knew if my mother was here, she would probably enjoy. I could even... Just imagine her sitting next to me, me eating my breakfast and her drinking a coffee because she was a coffee drinker, and maybe talking about her times growing up or some relatives in a long and distant past. And I just sat out there, and I was in the swing just sort of swinging and thinking. And even though my mother is not here, with me physically any longer. I looked at the flowers, and they were blossoming. We had, I had red roses. I, had, I even had some white roses. And I had some yellow bonnets. <laughs> I ha- have some different flowers out there. I have jasmine. I even have garlic. And I also have lavender. And all of those fragrances together reminded me of my mother. Because originally we're from the farm and we had plenty of flowers. And my mother said that the one thing that she wanted to be around when she left home in New York to come and stay with me during a time of illness is she wanted flowers. And I never was able to, to get those flowers there before she passed. But they are there now, Mom. And I do sit amongst them, and I I think of you, and I miss you dearly. And when when I go out into the world, I often wonder, am I doing the things that you would have wanted me to do, the things that you would have been proud of? How many of you think about that? Now, I didn't grow up with my father, but I did meet him when I was 18. Now, Father's Day is next month, and we'll talk about that. Mothers come first in the year, 
as they typically come first in our home. And that's probably the way it should be. Go to the Our Own Voices Live Facebook page and share a little bit about your mother, whatever it is, and however much you want to. This is a time that we can openly celebrate our mother. And for those of you whose moms are still here, how blessed and fortunate you are. I hope that whatever barriers some may have with their mothers, at least on this Mother's Day weekend and tomorrow on Mother's Day, I hope that you will let those barriers fall to the wayside, where they really should be anyway. And then take in your mother. For me, I go into my backyard, as I probably will do shortly after the show, and I will look at the flowers, look at some of the other plants. I'll probably sit back down in that swing. I'll probably take some long and deep breaths to inhale the fragrance and to just think of my mother. For those of you who have your mother, you don't have to just think about your mother. If you haven't called your mom in a while, what better time to call? Send a text message, Facebook message, whatever social media that you use, what a great time to share with your mother. One day, your mother will not be here. And if things go as they typically go, more than likely your mother will depart this earthly plane before you. What good memories will you have of your mother when that happens? And no matter how many good memories that you have now, Take some time to make some more because I can tell you I spent a lot of time with my mom. When I lived in New York, it was like being an only child. And it was me and my mom. Later on in life, when the other brothers were gone, it was me and my mom. I wound up leaving home pretty early. I think I was 16. Stayed in contact with my mother. And I'm not ashamed to admit it, but I also called my mother every week and oftentimes almost every day. I love my mother. I love my mother. My mother was there when no one else was there. Just like your mother has probably been that way for you. When I came back from the desert, my mother was there. And I remember after thinking about my injuries and the predicament that I was in, and I looked at my mother, and I could see the pain in her eyes and seeing her baby boy all hurt up. I, I did see that, and it touched me. But I can tell you this. My healing, which was quite painful, more painful than the actual injury. It was that look in my mother's eyes that encouraged me. It was only that look that a mother can give a son. There's a look that a mother can give a daughter. There's a look that a mother gives a son. And when I couldn't even move my toes, I knew I could do it 
because growing up as a boy, whether on the farm or in the big city, my mother always said, you can do it, Rod. My mother said, you can do anything you put your mind to, Rod. My mother used to bring home books, and and it would be all types of books on all different subjects. But because my mother bought it home, I felt that she could take the time to change her bus route to go to the library to pick up a book for me, then I should read it. And so I read it. Whether it was a book on sociology, psychology, physics, chemistry, history, English, a foreign language, she gave it to me, and I, I read it. And to this day, I still read. Thank you, Mom. When I made some turns in life as a teenager, and actually I think I started out as a preteen, a lot of anger in me, very possibly from my father not being around. It was tough. I don't know if women understand how tough it is for a child, and especially a boy, to never have his father around. My mother knew that she couldn't be my father. But she did her best to teach me as much as she knew and to share me with the men who she believed were good men. Well, there was my Uncle Jimmy, who became a surrogate father to me. Back in the 60s in school, and I'll talk more about this on Father's Day, Uncle Jimmy was my father. My mother knew to put me with Uncle Jimmy. He was a man... He was a man that, if you look in the dictionary of a man, you see my Uncle Jimmy. You see the definition of a brother. You would see my Uncle Jimmy. So my mother made sure that I had a chance to spend time with my Uncle Jimmy. She made sure that I had an opportunity to spend with Mr. Weisinger, a man who had been taken in by a family at a young age, as he took me in when my mother couldn't take care of me. But she knew that I needed to be with someone, and she was willing to give up her son to make sure that he had the best that she could possibly give him at the time. And then when things got better for her, she got me. She took me back. That's powerful, a lot of strength on her part. I'm just giving you a glimpse into my mother. I'd love to hear about your mother, what your mother meant to you. I've shared it so many times. My mother dropped out of high school in the 10th grade. Taking the crop, she had to help my grandfather run the farm, run the business, but she was good with numbers. She was good with math. But she had a yearning for knowledge. And even though all she had to read by was a kerosene lantern, she read as much as she could. And that's something that she passed on to me. And that's something that I've tried to pass on to my adoptive community here in Las Vegas. Maybe that's why we're, one of the things that compels me to do our book drive, our literacy drive. Maybe that's one of the things why I tend to cleave to women in business and in the community. I find those women who are out there doing things, making things happen. That was my mother. She didn't let not having a high school diploma keep her from achieving because she could read. 
she did not allow not having a high school diploma keep her from doing and providing the best for her son, her sons. My mother went back to school. She got a GED, and then she went to college. That's right. She went to college. And she worked a full-time job, was raising three boys, went back to school, went back to college, went to college, got her degree, and became the first person in the history of my family since slavery. She was the first person to earn a college degree. Earn is the right word here. She earned that degree. Full-time college, full-time working, and taking care of us three boys. And I wasn't the easiest fella to take care of, let me tell you. My mother came up to school sometime almost as many days as she went to work in some months. I wasn't the best child. I had that moment that I went left. My mother still loved me, though. That love did not prevent her from having discussions with my behavior and the choices I had made. It did not prevent her from disciplining me. And on occasion, she used corporal punishment. And on just about all of them, was probably deserved. And even though sometimes those lashes hurt, what caused me to ultimately change partially had something to do with the many books she gave me. I read Christian books, books on Judaism, books on Islam books on Eastern, other Eastern religions and philosophies, Taoism, Confucianism, Buddhism. I, I, she gave it all to me. And she, believe it or not, my mother put me in martial arts classes, and I was doing plenty of fighting on the street. And that probably saved my life. Because back in the 60s, martial arts back in the 60s, I started off in judo. I remember my mother told me, she says, Rod, I just need you to promise me one thing. And I asked her, what was that? And she said that I would never use it on a family member. And I said, okay, Mom, I won't. And even when my slightly older brother and we got into some altercations, and when the left and right from the streets wasn't enough, I never used martial arts, and I was pretty skilled. I never used it on it because my mother had things she asked me, and I complied with it. I remember one time my brother tried to hit me, and I did something, and it reminded me that I can't hit him because my mother said I can't. That's how powerful my mother's words to me, and I'm sure that's how powerful they are for you. Mothers, what beautiful creatures they are. You will embrace your mother today and every day. And if you're not physically near your mother, a phone call, a text message, most of the time they're just happy to hear from you. They're happy to know how we're doing, what we're doing. But I can tell you, when everyone else turns their back, walks away, when there's no one else left, for whatever reason, no matter what you do, I can tell you that the one person that's going to be there 
it's going to be mom, your mother. Growing up, I called my mother mother. <laughs> That's what I called. She had to work away. She was a domestic worker, and she had to work with some, some rich white people. I'll, I'll acknowledge it. And she would leave me because she wanted to provide. So my grandmother, who I called Mama, became my mother also. And she raised me like a son. So as I celebrate all mothers, I celebrate my mother, Esther Smith, and I celebrate my grandmother, Victoria Smith, whose father had been a slave. I'm third-generation freeborn. My grandmother's father had been a slave. We still have land in the family, dated back from the 1800s when he bought his first piece of property that we still have. Hopefully we'll be able to keep it. But it was many times the prayers of my grandmother, my mama, when I would get in trouble that kept me from going too far. Even as an adult, when maybe my temper, my anger got the best of me, what brought me back to my reality, which was my family, it was often the words of my grandmother saying, I didn't send you all the way over there to act like that and to embarrass me and the rest of the family. Powerful words. And don't be afraid to speak to your children that way. Sometimes we need it, especially us boys. So my my mother, who I called mother and later mom, my grandmother, who I called mama, who was like a mother, and then there was my Aunt Evelyn, who I spent more time with in New York because my mother worked at graveyard shifts. And Aunt Evelyn would be the one who would sometimes have to go to school too. <laughs> Maybe have to pick me up. If I was sick, sometimes she was the one who took me to the hospital. I do remember an occasion where she had to burn my little thighs up with a hand because I didn't do something that I should have done. But it was always in love and it was never excessive. It was corrected. And so I felt blessed growing up. And even into adulthood when I moved away from home because I always I would tell people I had three mothers. I said I had my mother who was mom. I said I had my grandmother who was mama. And I had my Aunt Evelyn who was, believe me, Aunt Evelyn. And I lost my grandmother, 85, 86 time frame. I lost my third mother, my Aunt Evelyn, just a few years back. And then last year, on May 6th, roughly 11-24, I lost the physical presence of my mother, who I met. Mom, I love you very much. And I'm still your, I'm still Rod. And thank you for the encouraging words. My mother said, Rod, you can do anything. That helped me when I was in service because I did sometimes seemingly anything. I was very versatile, very flexible because of my mother. As a matter of fact, 
most of the things I've done in life has been because my mother encouraged me and said that I could do anything. She said, if I didn't know how to do it, get a book. I know people get YouTube, and I use YouTube as well. There's nothing like reading it for yourself. Like Sister China says, there's nothing about going and seeing China for yourself. There's nothing like reading it for yourself versus taking someone else's word for it. I can go on and on and on talking about my mother. I was hoping that maybe we could get some people to call in today and share a little bit about their mother. But when you see me, did you see in my mother? Because she poured herself into me. And everything that was good about her, and probably most of the things that you see good about me, probably originated from at least one of my mothers, whether it was my birth mother, my grandmother, or my aunt mother. Yeah, there were some men in my life, and we'll talk about them on Father's Day. This is about mothers. And my mother was a great woman, a great mom, a great mother. I remember she moved up from working as a domestic worker to working as a cleaning lady in Western Union back in the day when Western Union was a big conglomerate, taking tests to get a job with the city because that's what they did to equalize hiring for black people in government was they set up standard tests. So if you could pass the test, you could get promoted. And my mother studied and she passed every test and she got promoted. And this high school dropout who became the first in the history of my family to have a college degree also became a hospital administrator in New York City, my mother. My mother was one of the folks who were part of the emergency response team when the Twin Towers came down that she watched get built as I did too. My mother transitioned just over a year ago. But when I think about the life that she lived and when I think about how she didn't let her beginning date her ending, how she didn't let her beginnings hold her back from achieving, maybe that's why when I hear my fellow black people talk about woe is me and all the things that the big, bad, black, excuse me, white man has done to them or perceived to be doing to them, and in fact, have done and is doing so. I think back that are they suffering any more than my mother who grew up in Jim Crow South whose father, excuse me, grandfather had been a slave? Are they suffering any more than her? They talk about a lack of education. My mother had to come home and take care of the, the pigs and the chickens and help plant and take in the crops bring in the wood and start the fire. Did they have to deal with any more than her? She got to see the night riders, and I'm not talking about the car. She got to know of people who were hung. I think as much as we go through the day, and it is a lot, is it any more than what she went through? And the reason why I bring that up is because my mother never used that as an excuse. She never used that as an excuse for not trying to achieve more and to do better. She never used it as an excuse to do less. 
always looked for how could she do more, regardless of what the barriers that were before her. She looked for ways to defeat those barriers. I cannot talk about my mother, especially after having Sister China on the air, without talking about the books, the encyclopedia set that my mother bought back in the 60s. The reason why I have to talk about that is so I didn't have a chance to go to Africa. My mother bought these encyclopedias, and why this is important, other than the fact that it was encyclopedias, which back in the day was a big accomplishment if you had encyclopedias in your house. Most of the time you had to go to the library. And, of course, we know we really don't get taught that much in schools about black and African history. As a matter of fact, we probably got taught more when I was coming up than children are taught today. But whatever it was, my mother knew that I needed more than what she can share. So originally from Carolina, we still have some of our African practices. You know, the Gullah people are from that area and further south. She, she was able to take her really low income at the time, which was probably about ten to $12,000 annually. And she bought a set of encyclopedias, I believe it cost $1,200, roughly a tenth of what she made that year. I'm sure she was on some type of payment plan. But she bought those encyclopedias, and just like every other book that she gave me, this was encyclopedias on everything black, African. And I read each one of those books from cover to cover because I knew that's what my mother wanted me to do, and that's why she gave them to me. Power of a mother. Because otherwise, I'm sure I wouldn't have read those encyclopedias. But I learned so much from reading. And it actually changed how I saw myself, how I saw my people. It empowered me and uplifted me, even to this day, when I hear people talk about my people. I know they don't know my people like I know them. Even when I hear my black conscious people talk about our people, I know they're talking from a deficit of knowledge. And I know that we are a rich people in knowledge and history. A successful people with so many things while other people were still in caves. And even when we came to this country, even during slavery, we still accomplished and we achieved and we, we stayed together and the black man and the black woman knew that they were not responsible for themselves, but they found a way to forgive each other when they had to do things that they otherwise wouldn't have done. And they looked past those shortcomings. And they still saw each other as who they were. The African woman saw that the man is just that. And the African man saw that African woman is just that. Look beyond whatever the master made them do. During Jim Crow, the women knew that the men could only do so much or they would lose their men. And the men knew that sometimes their women would have to do jobs that were demeaning to them to help provide for the family. But they saw that it was their woman. Just like Sister China is my sister, but she's a black woman and so much more. that you all will see those who 
are melanated like you as your brother and sister. And when you look at our women, you will see them as either a mother or a mother-to-be and respect them in that light. Our mothers. We would not be anywhere near as great as we are in history if it wasn't for a mother, a queen, to build a kingdom to give it to. Our mothers, our women, our daughters, mothers to be. Well, I see you all listening. I see we have someone from the 410. Thank you so much. I see others out there. Thank you so much for the comments from Facebook and text. I just wanted to share a little bit about my mother. Tomorrow, when you all get up and your mom is in your same house, down the street, up the road, or across country, you'll still be able to touch them. By all means, touch them. You don't necessarily have to give them gifts, though I'm sure they won't turn it down. But sometimes that gift is that phone call. And if you're in a physical presence, that hug. And if there's something between you, that forgiveness. Think about all the times they forgave you, all the things you did as you were coming up. And they still loved you. And they still spoke to you. Is whatever it is that you're going through, take the time to think about that's your mom, that's your mother. Maybe it's your grandmother, too. I see so many grandmothers who've had to go back to work to take care of their children's children. They never stop. That is so true. Mothers, aren't we lucky to have a day where we can just focus on them? Whether you take them out to eat or fix something for them to eat. Maybe breakfast in bed. Maybe you'll do that one thing that they've been wanting you to do for a long time and for whatever reason you didn't get around to it. Or maybe you'll stop doing that one thing that they've been advising you about for a long time. That's a gift, too. Gifts comes in many forms. To go get a flower out of that garden that I planted on her behalf and to wear it on my lapel all day, taking it in the scent of it, as it will remind me of my mother even more. You know, scientifically, of all of our senses, the one that's directly attached to memory is the sense of smell. I can still smell my mother's favorite cologne. I can smell her cooking. And as I think about it, the memories are flooding in. My mother, your mother, take the time to celebrate mothers tomorrow and take a time throughout the year to look at women as either mothers or potential mothers. One caller, let me uh, bring him in or her in. Stand by. Good afternoon. You're on Our Own Voices Live. Welcome to the show. We're talking about, I had a chat with Sister China, who's been to the motherland Africa, and also celebrating mothers today. 
Peace, brother. How you doing? Levon speaking. Brother Lee, I am doing pretty good overall. Just doing a little reflection on my mother. What's going on with you, brother? I'm in the car right now. I got you on speaker, and my mom is in the car with me. I just picked her up from her trip. I'm in a similar situation with you. You know, mom was there, but grandma raised me, so I got the um, the little old bird with me today, and we hanging out. She just got back from vacation from uh, Myrtle Beach, so I got my grandma with me, and I just wanted to shout her out and every other mother and say happy Mother's Day to everyone. Oh, well, thank you so much, brother. I'm sure she appreciates that. Man, mothers are mothers, whether they're mothers, grandmothers, they're still mothers. Thank you for taking right. the time. I'm sure that means a lot to us. That's right. That's right. Have a great show, brother. You take care. All right, brother. Thank you for calling in, and happy Mother's Day to that mother out there for you, brother. God bless you both. All right, peace. Thank you. Peace. You're welcome. Wow, that was pretty nice, huh? See, that's a see that that's a man right there. He 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 calls in in front of his mother, in front of his grandmother, wanted to say I love you and big shout out to you. You know, a lot of people. I was in another chat room and they were talking about manhood and man, and they were asking questions. And a lot of people try to define it, but I don't know if definitions can actually do as good a job as seeing a man in action. Right there, that was a man in action. Love it. Love it. Well, my sister girl is probably, my co-host, is probably being showered with gifts with her many children and grandchildren. And uh, that's Miss Angela Thomas. She's uh, been sort of the mother of this show because she's the one who really, yeah, and help bring this show to life, because that's what mothers do. Such a unique position in nature is a mother, because mothers bring about life. They birth it through their own bodies. They, their bodies transform, contort, and then they go through the pain and anguish of bringing us into the world. But yet they do it. And then they have to go through the pain and anguish of helping grow us up. <laughs> I always say, boys are tougher as toddlers and girls are tougher as teens, which I still believe. Take the time to say something to your mother. Give her that hug. Send her that, send her that, that text. Send her that e-card. Touch your mother in some way. I'll go into the backyard, probably with a glass of water or some of that red Kool-Aid if I have it or some punch. I think I'm going to just for a little while and think about my mother. If you all don't have your mother near you, I hope that you will take the time out to think about them, and I hope you have the capacity to contact them tomorrow. And then through the rest of the year, stay in touch. Whatever disagreements that you may have, Days a good time to let it fall away and embrace your mother. Thank you all for listening to Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live brings you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast, and that would be 3.30 p.m. for you on the East Coast. Thank you so much to all of you for listening from across this country. And even 
back into the motherland in Africa where my new brother, whose sister China is there. A big shout out to you, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you for maintaining that contact. We had Sister China on the show talking about a trip to the motherland, Africa, and she plans to be back as, as her schedule. will tune in, put us on the calendar, and you can always go to Our Own Voices Live on Facebook to uh, drop some comments, and please share some thoughts about what Sister China had to say about Africa. And today and tomorrow, share with us on Mother's Day and your mother. Until next Saturday, bless you, enjoy your mother, hug a mother today. And hug a mother tomorrow. And if you can, hug a mother every day. Until next time, this is Rodney on behalf of Angela Thomas signing off, wishing all the mothers happy Mother's Day, and we'll talk to you next Saturday. Bye-bye.